0: Good morning, and welcome to Simply Finance. It's Saturday, January 27th. On today's show, we'll be discussing the 10 essential rules of personal finance that you should follow, as well as Governor Hobbs' letter calling for a third-party auditor for the U of A financial crisis. Plus, find out why only a few Tuolumne County candidates filed correct campaign finance reports on time. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Finance. We start off with the understanding that personal finance is a crucial aspect of our lives, involving budgeting, saving, investing, and making informed decisions about income and expenses. It's about managing money effectively to achieve financial goals and maintain financial well-being. Here to delve deeper into this topic is our correspondent, Abby. Can you tell us more about the essential rules of personal finance that everyone should follow?
1: Absolutely, David. Personal finance is indeed a critical part of our lives. The first rule is to create a budget. It's essential to know where your money is going and to allocate funds wisely. This helps in controlling spending and saving more. The second rule is to establish an emergency fund. This is a safety net for unforeseen circumstances such as job loss, medical emergencies, or unexpected home repairs. It's generally recommended to have three to six months worth of living expenses saved in this fund. That's a good start. What about managing debt? That's another crucial aspect, David. Managing debt strategically is the third rule. It's important to understand the difference between good debt and bad debt. Good debt is an investment that will grow in value or generate long-term income, like a home mortgage or student loans. Bad debt, on the other hand, includes things like credit cards or other high-interest debt. The goal should be to pay off bad debt as quickly as possible. And what about insurance and retirement planning? Insurance is a key component of a solid financial plan. From health to home to life insurance, it's important to have adequate coverage to protect against significant financial loss. As for retirement planning, it's never too early to start. The sooner you begin saving, the more time your money has to grow. It's also important to take advantage of any employer matching retirement plans as it's essentially free money. These are indeed essential rules to follow, but personal finance
0: can be complex and intimidating for many. What advice would you give to someone just starting
1: out on their personal
0: finance journey?
1: The first step is to educate oneself. There are numerous resources available online and in books that can help one understand the basics of personal finance. It's also helpful to speak with a financial advisor or take a personal finance course. The key is to start small and gradually take on more as your confidence and knowledge grow. Remember, it's not about making perfect decisions but about making informed ones.
0: Thanks for those essential rules of personal finance, Abby. Now, shifting our focus to a recent development in Arizona, Governor Katie Hobbs is demanding clear action to address the University of Arizona's financial crisis. She has sent a letter to the Arizona Board of Regents calling for a third party to get involved. Our correspondent for Simply Finance, James, is here to discuss this further. Can you tell
2: us more about the Governor's letter and her demands? Certainly, David. In her letter to the Arizona Board of Regents, Governor Hobbs has made it clear that she wants a plan to be presented soon with the help of a third party to address the University's financial crisis. If not, she has threatened to make changes both at the University and to its leadership.
0: What is the current financial situation of the University of
2: Arizona? The Arizona Board of Regents recently stated that they are working on a solution to the University of Arizona's financial challenges. They also clarified that the $240 million shortfall announced last year is more like $140 million. However, Governor Hobbs has criticized this as too little, too late. What are the specific actions that Governor Hobbs is calling for? Governor Hobbs is calling for a third party to audit the University while reporting to her. And the Arizona Board of Regents. She also wants John Arnold, the acting chief financial officer at the university, to step down from his role. She has demanded a plan by February 9th and an explanation by February 20th regarding the university's acquisition of Ashford University last year to make it the University of Arizona Global Campus. How has the Arizona Board of Regents responded to Governor Hobbs' demands? Fred Duval, the chair of the Arizona Board of Regents, has acknowledged the situation and stated that they are going to fix it. He also mentioned that they will be announcing the details of their plan next week and will be joined by a team of national higher education finance experts for a third-party forensic analysis. The university has received the letter and is currently discussing it, but has not yet made a formal comment. Thanks for the insights, James. As we continue to monitor that situation, let's shift our
0: focus to the upcoming March 5th primary election where only three local candidates filed their required campaign finance reports on time. These reports, covering the period from January 1st through 20th, were due at the Tulumnan County Elections Office by Thursday. The candidates who filed the correct paperwork are district 4 county supervisor candidate steve griefer district 5 county supervisor candidate arthur schmidt and sonora city council candidate darren duez to delve deeper into this we have our correspondent from simply finance can you explain the significance of these filings
3: certainly david in california Candidates in local election races are required to file either a Form 460 or 470, depending on their campaign finances. Those who have raised or spent more than $2,000 during a calendar year must file a Form 460, which identifies donors who have contributed $100 or more and lists expenses of $100 or more. Candidates who don't plan to raise or spend $2,000 or more only have to file a Form 470, which does not require them to disclose any specifics.
0: And what are the consequences for candidates who fail to file these reports on time?
3: Jay Wierenga, spokesman for the California Fair Political Practices Commission, stated that any candidate who doesn't file their campaign finance statements on time can be fined up to $10 per day for each day it's late. However, local election officers can choose not to impose any fines if they determine the filing was late by accident or mistake. If a candidate willfully fails to file a report after being notified, they could be subject to a fine of up to $5,000 by the FPPC.
0: So who are the candidates who failed to file their reports on time?
3: As of Friday morning, District 1 County Supervisor candidates Matt Hawkins and Mike Holland had yet to file the disclosures for January 1st through 20. Kim Cuesto, an election technician and deputy clerk in the elections office, confirmed that incumbent Councilwoman Ann Sagerstrom, Bess Levine and Stephen Opie, who are vying for three open seats on the city council, had also not filed their forms.
0: What about the candidates who did file their reports? What do their campaign finances look like?
3: The biggest fundraiser of the candidates who have filed reports thus far was Steve Griefer, who raised $7,651 last year and spent $4,023,939. He raised $250 and spent $3,160 from January first through twenty. Arthur Schmidt reported $9,999 in total monetary contributions for all of last year, $5,000 of which was from a loan he made to himself. Darren Duez filed a Form 470 declaring he didn't anticipate raising or spending $2,000 or more.
0: Indeed, the financial dynamics of the election will be intriguing to watch. Thanks for that, Celeste. Shifting gears now to the mining industry, Sullivan Mining Capital, a Canadian company, has announced new appointments to its leadership team. Peter Michelle has been named as the new finance chief, and Peter Hooper will take on the role of chair of the board. These appointments come in the wake of the resignations of Ryan Ptolemy and longtime board member William Clark. Here to discuss these changes is our correspondent, Michael. Can you tell us more about these new appointments and what they might mean for Sullivan Mining Capital?
4: Certainly, David. The appointments of Peter McKell and Peter Hooper are effective immediately. Michelle, the new finance chief, will be responsible for overseeing the financial operations of the company, while Hooper, as the chair of the board, will play a key role in setting the company's strategic direction. These appointments follow the resignations of Ryan Ptolemy and William Clark, who have both been significant figures in the company. What can you tell us about the individuals stepping into these roles? Unfortunately, the information about the backgrounds and previous roles of Peter Mitchell and Peter Hooper is not detailed in the article. However, given the importance of their new positions, it's safe to assume that they have significant experience in the mining industry and in their respective fields. And what might these changes mean for the future of Sullivan Mining Capital? Leadership changes like these can often signal a shift in strategy or direction for a company. While it's too early to say exactly what impact these appointments will have, it's clear that Sullivan Mining Capital is entering a new phase of its development. The new leadership will likely be focused on navigating the company through this transition and setting it up, for future success.
0: Thanks for the insights on the recent leadership changes at Solid and Mining Capital, Michael. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Finance. We'll see you back here
4: tomorrow.